You are listening to Radio Ramadan 365 Podcasts. بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم شروع اللہ کے نام سے جو بے انتہا رحم کرنے والا اور رحیم ہے اللہ رب العزت سے دعا ہے کہ ہم اس رمضان المبارک کی ساتوں سے فائدہ اٹھا کر کے اپنے رمضان کو مبارک کر سکیں آج رمضان کی بارہ تاریخ آج کی افطار کا وقت ہے نو بج کے تیرہ منٹ اور ہماری اسٹوڈیوز کی گھڑیوں میں وقت ہوا ہے سات بج کے پینتیس منٹ افطار ٹوڈے از گوئنگ ٹو بی ایس سیون تھرٹی فائیو نائن تھرٹین ٹائم جس ناؤ از سیون تھرٹی فائیو یو آر لسننگ ٹو ریفلیکشنس ود یور ہوسٹ زبیر اکرم اینڈ مائی گیسٹ ایز آلویز شیخ رضوان محمد السلام علیکم شیخ وعلیکم السلام ورحمۃ اللہ وبرکاتہ Sheikh 12th of Ramadan and uh, for some is 13th um, and I'm feeling it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ramadan <coughs> almost like a, a third gone mm-hmm. and we are feeling the fast now. Mm-hmm. It's getting tougher. Um, I think the, the, the first part was where we had um, uh, kind of some difficulty and then we got climatized. Mm-hmm. And now we are again feeling the pinch, I think. So for the listeners, um, we have, uh, inshallah, um, lined up as always uh, Surah Kahf for today, inshallah. And Surah Kahf, uh, we have covered two major stories of Surah Kahf. Uh, one being the sleepers and the other one, uh, the fable of uh, two brothers who had Um, garden uh, rich orchard and they had different uh, view to it how they approached uh, the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the risk they were given and how they approached it and how they were reprimanded and how they were uh, either <coughs> reprimanded or how they were praised by none other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala himself uh, today's ayahs uh, will be coming out of the story and going into some of the principles Uh, that we should be um, following, uh, paying attention to. And inshallah, I hope we'll have a very good conversation around those ayahs today. So today's ayahs, recitation, and on the screens you'll be able to see what those ayahs are. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim In the name of Allah, the absolutely merciful, the especially merciful. مَا أَشْهَدْتُهُمْ خَلْقَ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ وَلَا خَلْقَ أَنفُسِهِمْ وَمَا كُنْتُ مُتَّخِذَ الْمُضِلِّينَ عَضُدًا I made them not to witness in the creation of the heavens and the earth, and not even their own creation, nor was I to take the misleaders as helpers. وَيَوْمَ يَقُولُ نَادُوا شُرَكَائِيَ الَّذِينَ زَعَمْتُمْ فَدَعَوْهُمْ فَلَمْ يَسْتَجِيبُوا لَهُمْ وَجَعَلْنَا بَيْنَهُمْ مَوْبِقًا And the day he will say, Call those so-called partners of mine whom you pretended. Then they will cry unto them, but they will not answer them. And we shall put a barrier between them. 
And the criminals shall see the fire, and apprehend that they have to fall therein, and they will find no way of escape therefrom. وَلَقَدْ صَرَّفْنَا فِي هَذَا الْقُرْآنِ لِلنَّاسِ مِنْ كُلِّ مَثَلٍ وَكَانَ الْإِنسَانُ أَكْثَرَ شَيْءٍ جَدَلًا And indeed we have put forth every kind of example in this Qur'an for mankind. But man is ever more quarrelsome than anything. وَمَا مَنَعَ النَّاسَ أَن يُؤْمِنُوا إِذْ جَاءَهُمُ الْهُدَى وَيَسْتَغْفِرُوا رَبَّهُمْ إِلَّا أَن تَأْتِيَهُمْ سُنَّةُ الْأَوَّلِينَ إِلَّا أَن تَأْتِيَهُمْ سُنَّةُ الْأَوَّلِينَ أَوْ يَأْتِيَهُمُ الْعَذَابُ قُبُلًا And nothing prevents men from believing, now when the guidance has come to them, and from asking forgiveness of their Lord, except that the ways of the ancients be repeated with them, or the punishment be brought to them face to face. وَمَا نُرْسِلُ الْمُرْسَلِينَ إِلَّا مُبَشِّرِينَ وَمُنْذِرِينَ وَيُجَادِلُ الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا بِالْبَاطِلِ لِيُدْحِضُوا بِهِ الْحَقَّ وَاتَّخَذُوا آيَاتِي وَمَا أُنْذِرُوا هُزُوًا And we do not send the messengers except as givers of glad tidings and warners. But those who disbelieve dispute with false argument in order to refute the truth. And they treat my signs and that with which they are warned as jest and mockery. وَمَنْ أَظْلَمُ مِمَّنْ ذُكِّرَ بِآيَاتِ رَبِّهِ فَأَعْرَضَ عَنْهَا وَنَسِيَ مَا قَدَّمَتْ يَدَاهِ إِنَّا جَعَلْنَا عَلَى قُلُوبِهِمْ أَكِنَّةً أَنْ يَفْقَهُوهُ وَفِي آذَانِهِمْ وَقْرًا And who does more wrong than he who is reminded of the signs of his Lord, but turns away from them, forgetting what his hands have sent forth? Truly we have set veils over their hearts, lest they should understand this, and in their ears deafness. And if you call them to guidance, even then they will never be guided. وَرَبُّكَ الْغَفُورُ ذُو الرَّحْمَةِ لَوْ يُؤَاخِذُهُمْ بِمَا كَسَبُوا لَعَجَّلَ لَهُمُ الْعَذَابِ بَلْ لَهُمْ مَوْعِدٌ لَنْ يَجِدُوا مِنْ دُونِهِ مَوْئِلًا And your Lord is most forgiving, owner of mercy. Were he to call them to account for what they have earned, then surely he would have hastened their punishment. But they have their appointed time, beyond which they will find no escape. وَتِلْكَ الْقُرَى 
أهلكناهم لما ظلموا وجعلنا لمهلكهم موعدا. And these towns we destroyed when they did wrong. Sadaqallahu Ladim. So, Sheikh, these ayahs um, apparently no relation to, they're not really related to the stories or they aren't related to, on the surface, they're not related to anything that we've covered so far mm-hmm. uh, in terms of uh, the two main major stories and the story that's to come. Mm-hmm. But that's like um, pasted <coughs> right in the middle of this chapter. Mm-hmm. Uh, quite general and all over the place in a way. Quite a few things, quite a few threads. Maybe let's start with the first one of today. Okay, Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. So, um, what you're saying is that these um, series of verses, this is verses um, number 51, and I think the recitation finished at verse 59. Yeah. So, this is a good 10 verses of the Quran in the, in the, in the central part of Surah Al-Kahf, after having covered two of the major stories and parables we have um, <clears throat> very interesting um, a kind of sequence just before this as well remember um, after the story of the, of the peop- of, of the two individuals and the, and the gardens and, and their response to the gardens and, and, and mm. one of them being thankful and the other being ungrateful to Allah there there is a quick jump to an example of the life of this Existence that we have and Zint al Hayat Dunya comes up there, um, which again is a jump, but it's clearly related to the previous um, story because it's about the nature. So, 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 the, so the mithal and the example and the similitude of the story of the gardens is exactly the same similitude of the Zint al Hayat Dunya, which is this type of um, embellishment and adornment of earth which is transient and not timeless. It's something that comes and then it disappears as soon as it comes. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala within that context also mentions that there'll be a day in which Allah will cause the mountains to pass away and will cause the earth to become um, flattened. So it indicates that the things that we take pride in ultimately will come to nothing and this is the nature of the world that we see and we, we perceive that day in day out with people that are rich and powerful and famous um, it comes to naught in the end and the example is that Allah will in a like like manner um, bring the whole of the earth itself through a supernatural event to come to the same end as the individual things that we have on earth coming to an end so vegetation comes to an end, people come to an end our biological function comes to an end that is micro um, episodes of things blossoming, blossoming and coming to an end, dying, you know, fading away. And then Allah is basically saying that there will be a day in which the whole of the cosmos will go through the same process, but not through a natural progression, but something that is caused by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And at that point, the way that you dealt with the zina and the t- tests and the choices that you made will be how you will be presented in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Allah says, وَعُرِدُوا عَلَىٰ رَبِّكَ صَفَّةً And they will be presented in front of Allah in lines. And you will come even as the day that you were born. You know, So the, the, the relevance of the previous story to something that seems irrelevant is actually relevant. 
And so this is something that's quite important is that that line of thinking goes all the way وَقُلْنَا لِلْمَلَائِكَةِ اسْجُدُوا لِآدَمَ فَسَجَدُوا إِلَّا إِبْلِيسِ And even that you would say, well, it's a jump mm. to um, from a parable of the gardens to the here and now of the pleasures of the earth, fast forwarding to the end of time, then jumping all the way back to the beginning of the creation of the human being. Mm. So you can just see, that's like four or five verses, you've just jumped from a, a timeless parable, we don't know when it's set, to the present time, to the, 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 the destruction of the earth, which is future, and then all the way back, bypassing present, bypassing the parable of the gardens, all the way to the time that Allah created Adam and said to the angels, prostrate to Adam. And they prostrated, all of them prostrated except for Iblis, Kana, Minajin, he was from the, the jinn. Mm. And so why is that mentioned? It's mentioned as if the, the, the core issue we have is in following the mindset and the inclinations of shaitan and the whispers of shaitan, the inclinations of shaitan, which is to, I mean, the, the, the Quran will be very clear on what he did. So, you know, the, the example of the people, of the, of, of the um, you know, the, 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 the governor in the story of the people of the cave, he rebelled against the orders of his Lord by taking partners and ordering people to take partners. Mm. In the situation of the gardens, you see one of them grateful and thankful. One is ungrateful and unthankful to Allah. It's exactly the same thing. You would say about him, you would say about the other person as well. Rebelled against the command of God. And so all of that is, is, is all connected in some way. But if you were to say in terms of a timeline, you would say it's jumping everywhere. Unconnected. Yeah, uh, it, to understand the the uslub of Quran, is it that it's not tahrir, is taqrir. It is speech. Mm -hmm. It's not writing. Mm -hmm. It's not prose. It's, 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 it's not prose. Yes, it's it's more. Um, the important thing for the Quran is the purpose, which is guidance, and if that requires it to constantly tell you about the the the, the thread, the common thread in human existence and and human life then time is irrelevant to that. The same thing that brought the destruction of Iblis is the same thing that brought the destruction of, of the person that was ungrateful to God for his garden, the same thing that brought, brings the destruction of people today who are embellished in, in worldly um, trappings, is the same thing that on the Day of Judgment will be the thing that you will come with, that you'll expect to be with you, but you, it won't be with you. It's the same simple thing. Mm. And fisq is... In, in Arabic can also be used in its old Arabic usages something that is putrid or something that is um, infected or something like that and a wound that's infected so mm. it goes outside the norms of what it should do in a negative way not in a good way, in a negative way it's something that you need to actually deal with and and, and um, seek medication for or seek some kind of, um, kind of um, remission for and that's why it's, you know, the Qur'an as relevant as it is at that time is as relevant as it is today. So Allah then mentions straight after, which is, I just mentioned that because um, I thought it was good to review this. Allah says that we did not make or did not, did not allow anybody to witness the creation of the heavens and the earth. Now this is important because, you know, um, 
in the Quran, just before this, Allah says, Do you then take um, Iblis and his offspring as protectors and friends? This is interesting because it's this idea that you know human beings follow something, follow an ideal, follow an idea, follow um, a precept, follow something. And certain people sell their souls to the devil. We always kind of use this expression, selling your soul mm-hmm. to the devil. Mm-hmm. Essentially what that means is you're taking them as your guardians, protectors, in a sense your you know, subjects of worship. And so Allah is, is then refuting that by saying they didn't witness the creation of the heavens and the earth. You know, if you want to worship and adore and follow somebody or something or a being, then would it not be more befitting that you do it for the one that created everything? And who was there when God created everything? Nobody. Like if you think of the idea of partners, you would say, well, it's plausible that you would follow somebody who's with God when God created. A partner. Mm. No partners. So on what basis do you then follow in the footsteps of a being that is uh, meagre and um, futile and and insignificant. But who's this ayah addressed to? It's like there is a bit of anger in here. It's a bit mm-hmm. of kind of like um, a, a, a dig, mm-hmm. almost. Mm-hmm. It's saying, um, what, what are you bothered yeah, about? Yeah, so what the, what's happened in this verse, which is verse 51. I never asked you how to create. Yeah, so Especially if you are a deviant, why would I ask you? Yes, so what's happening here is something that's understood. The story of Iblis comes and Allah mentions that he rebelled against the command of his Lord and people then still take Iblis as their as their master, essentially. Even if you don't openly say it, if you're, if you're cutting corners in commerce and you're swindling and you're being unethical and you're cheating and you're sinning, you're essentially following the pathway of shaitan. Now Allah is saying that on what basis... Like what does shaitan have? Apart from serving the nafs, it feels good. And this is essentially whatever entertains and feels good and you can relax doing, the shaitan will rather you do that than anything else. And that's why he doesn't, the shaitan doesn't care. This is why um, the scholars, they talk about the fact that the waswas of the shaitan is such that you can tell when it's a waswas of the shaitan because what happens is that the shaitan doesn't care that you are um, sinning in a specific way. What he cares about is that you sin. Does that make sense? So in other words, what the shaitan is interested in is not that you are um, doing a specific type of sin, arrogance against Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or um, rebelling against your parents or you know, slandering people. He just is bothered with you sinning against God. Whereas the nafs, our nafs is, is of a nature where what it does is it will catch on to just one thing. And that's how you tell the difference between what is the waswas of shaitan and the the feeling of your own nafs. The feeling of your own nafs is basically an addiction. That it will only come to you in that way, in that specific form, and that will be the thing you'll be addicted to, or prone to doing, or prone to falling into. Somebody might be prone into slandering. Somebody might be prone into the the major enormities of the, of the tongue or the, or the ear or the, or the eyes. Um, but that will be what they'll be prone to. Whereas the shaitan doesn't really care. So Allah says, he didn't even, and, and, the, and the shayateen, and these forces that you follow, didn't even witness the creation of the heavens and the earth. And they can't even create themselves. And so, 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, how would you take such misled people as your helpers? It's, it's, a, it's a logical argument. Mm. It's called a, a, a fortiori, which is basically an argument where you say, if they weren't even there, so on what basis are you doing all these other things? If they weren't even there when creation was created, so how can they be greater than God, more befitting of adoration and worship than God? How can they be more befitting of your obedience than God? Hmm. And this is a rebuke, as you said. It's an re- indirect rebuke to the people. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, on that day, you, Allah will call their partners um, who you pretended that they were your partners and they will cry, what? They will cry that, um, you know, if only we were not created in this time. This is essentially the call out to people that follow the the inclinations of the nafs and inclinations of shayateen. And there will be this massive chasm between what they say and what they do. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, and you will see, or in fact, no, sorry, the 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 mujrimun will see. And there was people that are unjust to themselves, that, that fall into jurum. Jurum is, is a transgression against God. They will see the fire. And it's quite interesting that they will see the fire. Now, why will they see the fire? Because obviously this is going to be their just desert for their actions. And they will think. And the interesting is the translation, I don't know what you have here, what you have for the translation, but the interesting in, 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 what, in what it means is فَظَنُّوا means they think or they imagine. Now, why would they imagine if they see the fire? So this is creating, you know when, um, you know, you can imagine a person on death row. They know they're going to die. They see the electric chair. They see the injection. They see the whole setup for death. The, the actual pain of the death is one thing, but having to imagine you're sitting there and it's being prepared in front of you the, the fear that struck in the whole spectacle yeah. is you know but at the moment that you're seeing it you are imagining or you are you have an inclination that you will it's a certainty the actual waiting is a worse punishment than the actual falling in mm-hmm. if that makes sense yeah. so Allah lets them wait and ponder to the point that they think that they will fall into it. So that whole moment of trepidation, and this is like, you can think of the worst situation that can happen on earth, this is in the hereafter. So this is the punishment multifold. They will see the fire, and they will be led to believe, and, and the conjecture will lead them to believe that they will fall within that, and they'll have, Allah says, they will find no way to turn away from it or to escape from it. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is, 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 is pointing out the end result of you know, the story of the people of the, of the gardens. Mm. He's showing the, the results of people that um, tortured the people of the, of the cave. He's showing the people who are taking the, the worldly adornments to be their, their God and their, their saviour. All these things are there and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is essentially um, providing them very, very clearly to us. Ramadan, uh, reflections with Sheikh Rizwan Muhammad. Um, just before the break, uh, Sheikh, we were uh, going into this ayah, ayah number 54. وَلَقَدْ صَرَّفْنَا فِي هَذَا الْقُرْآنِ لِلنَّاسِ مِنْ كُلِّ مَثَلٍ 
وکان الانسان اکثر شعی ان جدل takes my imagination is this word jadala i was actually reading this this morning mm-hmm. um and i thought that that's the one i want to ask this is the thing i would like to ask that allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that he has created men he's created human beings mm-hmm. and he's the one who's the creator and it's like almost giving up on them mm-hmm. and saying you you won't listen because you always argue your best in just arguing so sorry, you say that god created them no no i'm saying god, we are his creation well, obviously <laughs> we are his creation he's the one who's the, who's the creator mm-hmm. but in this ayah it seems immense annoyance mm-hmm. why <laughs> uh <clears throat> <clears throat> Needs <laughs> you to clear your throats. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. So Allah, this verse fifty-four. Yeah. Yeah. So this this is interesting because this is a this kind of it's like a statement. Yeah. Like up until now, what's happened is there's stories and there's um, examples and there's um, kind of. Reasons why you should turn back to God and these kind of themes are very prominent here. And then Allah is basically saying, وَلَقَدْ صَرَّفْنَا فِي هَذَا الْقُرْآنِ لِلنَّاسِ مِنْ كُلِّ مَثَلٍ That we have presented. And this, this, the, the tone of this verse is interesting. It's, it's if you're saying, we've presented every single type of example and similitude and teaching lesson and and thing to approximate to a person's mind the truth of the Quran. So look at the previous story about um, the two gardens. Um, Allah says, strike an example or a similitude or um, you know a, a, a kind of example is similitude is more a better way because it paints a picture of something. That will convince you of the the greatness of thankfulness to God and the futility of a lack of gratitude towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's the basic principle of that, that, that specific verse or that set of verses. And straight away Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, strike for them the similitude of the embellishments of this world, which will come and pass. So no one's going to sit there and say, well, that's not the case. Yes, everything grows and everything dies. Everything um, reaches strength and, and, and goes into decay So Allah is basically saying Look there's so Each of these examples Allah is bringing you the most Diverse types of examples Inna Allah la yastahi yadriba mathla ma ba'udata So Allah says also in the Quran That God is not shy of providing The similitude and example of a ba'uda Which is a gnat You know just a small fly So from the smallest things, Allah will create an example. Allah will give you examples of everything. Give you the example of the أَفَلَا يَنظُرُونَ إِلَى الْإِبْلِ كَيْفَ خُلِقَتْ Do they not look upon the camel, how it's created? So all these things, do they not look upon the stars, how the firmament, how it's, how it's raised up. Allah is providing example after example to convince you of just following simple guidance. Okay? 
which would usually mean that you follow it. Like imagine you, you tell somebody to do something and you give them reasons to do it. Mm-hmm. And every single time you give them a reason, they have a retort and a dispute and a discussion with you about it. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense if what you're saying doesn't is not completely clear. So obviously the person who you're speaking to will say, well, what about this? What about that? It's perfectly natural. But Allah is giving so many diverse examples pointing towards the same thing of leaving aside the worship of idols, about living an ethical life, of being good people, um, you know, all these things, you know, you know, controlling the nafs and controlling anger and all these things. It so makes so much sense. But despite the fact that this is the clearest teaching and the clearest examples, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَكَانَ الْإِنسَانُ أَكْثَرَ شَيْءٍ جَدَلًا so this is the result. The result of all of those clear signs and clear teachings and numerous, you know, you would call teaching methods. Mm-hmm. And imagine a teacher is teaching you calculus or, or algebra or something like that. And they use everything. They use props, they use diagrams, they tell you stories. They t- give you 20 different ways of understanding how to do algebra. And you still sit there and think, well, what about this? What about that? Or you don't, still don't get it. Allah is basically saying, despite all of that um, input in teaching and, 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 and um, giving guidance, you find that the human being, insan, is so quarrelsome, mm. is so given to disputing. In other words, in the story of the two guards as well, you, you know, so what if you wanted to live forever? So what if you wanted to, you know... Um, Revel at the beauty of the, what he had been given. So, what if he was proud of the the wealth that he had and the children and the and the servants that he had? So what? So you could always argue. And what's interesting here is the Quran is not saying that people argue bil bil maqal by their speech and respond by saying something. You can also respond and be quarrelsome in your actions because you're given a clear clear teaching and clear clear piece of guidance. And you end up doing the complete opposite. Mm-hmm. You don't see it. You don't say. You don't kind of um, raise, ob- raise objections, as, as they say, to something. But next thing you do, you see, the person is doing the complete opposite. And you teach somebody, and they say yes, and you look around, they're doing the complete opposite. Like yeah. you're, somebody's working with you on a project, and you say, "Okay, do this, and then this," and they say, "Okay, that's a fantastic idea." You turn around next day, you come back, they're doing the same thing that you told. Them. That they agreed they didn't want to do it. Yeah. So they're not saying, look, no, I think what I'm doing is better. The fact is the human nature is such that they fall back into that old, you know, this kind of addictive addictive behavior, essentially. Which is why Allah says, وَكَانَ الْإِنسَانُ أَكْثَرَ شَيْءٍ جَدَلًا That the human being is prone to... You know, quarrelsomeness and dispute. And the reason for that is that it might not be intentional. Mm. There is a sense that human beings are created um, with that kind of sense of heedlessness. People are created with a sense of heedlessness and a sense of of, um, lack of focus and forgetfulness as well. So insan is obviously taken from nisyan, which is to feel like Ibn Abbas said, it's to, to do going to fall into heedlessness or to fall into forgetfulness. And so it's almost as if some people 
quarrel and argue and openly disobey God. The majority of us don't, but we just fall into the same old habits. And that's essentially why. Why did God create us and then give us, make us of a nature that we do that? That's because we're tested. But not all people are like that. You know, if you... But, uh, Sheikh, this is, this is the beauty of um, the creation. Mm-hmm. This is what insan is. Mm-hmm. It's not monotonous, it's not mm-hmm. linear, it's not just same. We forget, uh-huh. we come back, mm-hmm. we sin, mm-hmm. we repent, mm-hmm. we get angry. Mm-hmm. So it's the opposites that makes us who we are. Yeah, the, the whole point, we are given choices that, that we can elevate ourselves above even the angelic realm um, because the angels have no choice in what they're doing. Mm. But they're honoured because they're close to Allah. So this is why the scholars have a whole discussion about can human beings re- come to the level of angels or not. Mm. Um, they can in terms from the perspective of their choices are what elevates them. But even if the angels are not elevated by their actions, they're elevated by their proximity to Allah. Mm. So that in and of itself, even if it's, they have no role in it, they're just honoured beings. Mm. Do you understand? Just... They're just honoured. Not because of what they're doing, because God chose that. And so yeah. human beings might think that they can choose to obey, therefore they, they have more deserving right to be closer to God. That's not the case. Mm. So it's, it's kind of, it's, a, it's an interesting thing, which is always about, can, can the prophets re- reach the station of the angels or, or bypass them? And the, the, the most correct opinion is that they can, because... Not only are they obedient, but they're close. Mm. Do you understand? So they have the two aspects. The angels have the closeness aspect. The prophets have the closeness aspect and the obedience aspect, which means that they are far more pro- in far more proximity to Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. Especially if you if you if you then take it to the point that Allah is then calling the Prophet Al-Mujtaba or Al-Mustafa, the chosen one or the or the one brought close. In that case, the special type of inayah to, towards the Prophet Ali which is why scholars by consensus said that the, the Prophet is, is, the, is the most elevated um, form of creation um, more than anything else because angels don't have the issue of volition. So what... So in this ayah, this quality that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that He is the one who's created us with this. Mm-hmm. Is He's not created us with it. He's created us with capacities that when we choose them, we take on one of these, which is quarrelsomeness. Quarrelsomeness. But we have the control, ability to control that. So human being is but not... the default position is that you will... According to this ayah, the default is mm-hmm. that you will quarrel. Not necessarily, I mean, no? okay. it's not necessarily the case. I would say the, a good translation would be that human beings are often oft, um, disposed to, to quarrelsomeness. Like the disposition is towards that. Um, because of the nature of the fact that they want to follow their nafs. Because the quarrelsomeness or somebody not doing what you've told them is because even if they say they'll do it, it's their nafs that's pushing them somewhere else. And so if the nafs is left alone, yes, you will be by default quarrelsome because you'll just keep arguing of what you say is correct. Once you hone that and train it and discipline it, then obviously that won't be the case. So how often, you know, how, um, you know, it's an interesting way 
that the Arabic expresses it, doesn't tell us, are most people like that? Or are, is an individual very quarrelsome? We don't know exactly what it means. Does it mean most people are quarrelsome? Does it mean the human species is quarrelsome? Does it mean we are dis- disposed to certain things, but the, most thing, the, the greatest thing we're disposed to is quarrelsomeness and, and, and being awkward? We don't know. Hmm. But it just tells you this is a prominent thing that stops us from following what are essentially God's signs. That's okay, the reason. So basically it's indicating there is a capacity within you yes. that if you choose, you mm-hmm. become this and don't do that. Yes. So that's it. it. Whether it's in people or in the population. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if it's a quality thing or a quantity thing, we don't know. If it's a quality thing of you... But the whole thing of Quran is that it is, if I'm reading it, if I'm, I'm listening to the commentary of it, it's for me. Mm-hmm. It, yes, so it's for you because you'll, you'll write away check if God has given you such a clear example that you've been convinced with, you should ask yourself, why did you not then follow it through? Yeah. You know, if you read the Quran, you realize the truthfulness of it. You always have to then come back and think, well, why did I not follow through on that clear guidance that I was convinced about? What the answer will come back clearly is it's the nafs. It's the ease with which the nafs coax you into the sense that you're better continuing on the path you're on and not making a change. Mm. Whereas this verse is essentially saying that you have to um, you know, make a change and make um, a, an alteration in the way that you live. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then continues on with a discussion about the, the fact that people follow the path of previous people, stops them from um, worshipping Allah, following guidance, seeking Allah's um, forgiveness, the only thing that stops them is just following the pathway of people before them. So it's this thing of so many people did this rebellion that you just end up following in that that as well. And Allah says, "Wa ma mursalina illa wa That we didn't send and, and, and send forth the the messengers except that they were givers of glad tidings and warners. And so that is the only thing. So prophets are there to give you. A message that you'll find that the human beings that they, that, that they were sent to will be what the same thing. They will be so quarrelsome. Like the Quraysh, just read the seerah of the Prophet and you will see quarrel after quarrel, um, argument and argument, counter argument after counter argument against the Prophet about against the resurrection, against the fact that they should still worship idols, they should still sacrifice to idols, they should still um, be allowed to do whatever they want. You know, like in you know, in the Seerah of the Prophet ﷺ, you have the example of Bani Tamim. Um, was it Bani Tamim? No, it wasn't. It was actually um, Ta'if, the people of Ta'if, Bani Thaqif. So when the Prophet conquered Mecca, mm-hmm. he went to Ta'if to conquer Ta'if and Thaqif. He was unable to. And so they remained as they were. And then later on in the year, when they saw that, that the Muslims had basically managed to... Um, Conquer the whole of the Arabian Peninsula They were presented Islam And they accepted it But then What was interesting about Bani Thaqif, Bani Thaqif And the people of Ta'if Very arrogant Very haughty And almost like Quraysh And perhaps more so When the Prophet Presented Islam to them They started to you know, Put conditions down mm. So the first thing was You know Water Do you have to do wudu Sometimes it's cold Ta'if's mm. cold Five times do we have to bow down because it's some back it's bad for our <laughs> and then zakat do we have to pay zakat 
Um, so they had all of these things, one after the other, that they just just accept. You've understood that this is correct. No, we want to provide stipulations and and the Prophet, you know, some of the stipulations the Prophet agreed to, like zakat. He's he's he led them not to pay zakat. Hmm. And the Prophet asked him then when the companions asked him about that, he said when they start because the Prophet did not give them permission to um, not do wudu, not to pray. He said you have to do wudu, you have to pray. They asked for permission to fornicate because he said we travel and we. We need to fulfill our needs. The Prophet did not give them permission to do that. And then they said, we will not pay you zakat. And the Prophet said, he just said, okay. And the companion said, well, why did you, you know, they were, they were, they were kind of, they were kind of shocked. Because this is the first thing, this is the first time it's happened. The Prophet, mm-hmm. the Quran doesn't separate salah and zakat. Yeah. Wa atu zakat. And sharia is just So constant. it's like this thing that Sayyidina Abu Bakr fought the, the 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 eastern tribes for, and so they were they were kind of slightly shocked because this was something out of the blue. The Prophet had never allowed people to forfeit the the, the payment of zakat. He allowed it for Bani Thaqif, and when the Prophet was asked about it, he said, "If they are, are constant in their prayer, they will have no choice except that they will pay zakat." Meaning that the prayer will force their nafs to obey to the point that they will know the benefits of zakat and they will pay it. So this oh, was yeah. an aspect so of the process. this approach of gradualness and yes. not making everything compulsory mm-hmm. on day one mm-hmm. is an acceptable approach. It's an acceptable approach based upon this verse that we looked at, which is, وَكَانَ الْإِنسَانُ أَكْثَرَ شَيْءٍ جَدَلًا That the human being is, is so prone to quarrel, quarrel, quarreling and dispute that we have to sometimes take that into consideration when we're dealing with people. Hmm. That you know the person's disposition is that they're going to keep arguing. So better to cut it to a certain point and allow them to do that and therefore they will then be brought in. So a person that becomes a Muslim, you don't give them this massive tome of rules and regulations that you know were formulated in the 4th, 5th century about all the, the nitty-gritty of everything that happens and if you don't do this, then this. Because I was, I was reading a couple of days ago. There was somebody gave a fatwa about something so minute, um, so insignificant, and actually not even established in in an, in, in, a, in a kind of strong text of the Sunnah of the Prophet that they built this whole case that not doing it is leads to kufr. So I was like thinking, imagine a person becomes a Muslim, mm. and then. You, you tell them you have to testify there's no God but Allah and Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Messenger you have to pray fast and this thing make sure you don't do this mm. and then this thing don't do this otherwise and this thing if you do that that's kufr and this thing you know the person will not leave the room as a Muslim mm. because Islam was never made in that that kind of level of detail but if somebody asks about something then it makes Sorry, sense Islam was never made in that level of detail detail yeah. You know, when a person so it's not is entering print. into Islam, it's not a small print that counts. No, no. What I'm saying is, at the per- at the moment of your coming into the faith, the Prophet would never have envisaged the small print. Yeah. Even though the small print Actually, exists, that's, that, that's what my conversation has been with a few people, mm. especially one of my very close non-Muslim friends. Mm. Uh, he comes from a religious background, Christian mm. religion. Mm. Uh, he was about to be a priest. He didn't quite. Do that, mm-hmm. and then he became a lawyer. Mm. Yeah, all all priests, <laughs> priests become lawyers. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
his thing is that and and mm. I kind of relate to that that the entire religion the, the religious teaching mm. uh institutions focus more on small print mm. the details and the lifetime is spent on details mm. No, the I, simple I, the simple thing that I learned from you yesterday for, in mm. this very program in this reflections is very very simple two things amin amanu and amin salihat you come you believe you you believe in few things which are asked you to believe in mm-hmm. just believe in them mm-hmm. and then interact with people which is just and fair uh, and, and that's amal uh, salih mm-hmm. these are the only two things and they are within the rules mm-hmm. but the the whole explanation of rules take over mm-hmm. the entire well, see, see that's a, that's a that's a big issue and it's an important point it's actually a very beneficial point for listeners as well which is this idea of making things complicated now great scholars in islamic history and even scholars that i've had the pleasure of sitting with and seeking out specifically for this one specific reason i've noticed something very interesting in them that they will be teaching the most detailed aspects of minute law or grammar or rhetoric or you know, logic or anything detail 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 but then when they in a classroom context yeah the moment they leave the classroom context context that detail is left in the classroom context mm-hmm. like so if you meet them in their house a completely different type of conversation if you see them go to the local store and you watch them speak completely different context if you see them you know speaking with somebody who's driving the taxi for them or a completely different context so the detail is for a place and the and the 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 headlines are for a different place and great scholars have always had this simple ability to they jump. learned though yeah learned so that you're aware of them not that you are then the problem we have nowadays is that people use them and then impose them impose them you, you judge and, yourself and use them simple. in a public like you give a khutbah yeah and then the khutbah is there to explain simple simple things in different ways use the khutbah to explain the the different ways of falling into kufr for example or the technicalities of wudu for example yeah. and if you've missed this piece of wudu or your body when you're doing wudu in this specific part Uh, which is like this kind of technicality when you sit in prayer you don't raise up these specific toes then you know this is in hellfire so that kind of thing is is strange so it, uh, so when the processum did point at details yeah. uh, finish the idea when the processum did point at ideals uh, um, details it was to point out negligence of the general act itself like the processum said wailun lil aqabi min an-nar you know woe to the heels from the hellfire because he saw Rasm saw people not just doing the basic simple wudu properly mm-hmm. he didn't see he didn't go into details saying what to do he said something that was there it was when you do wudu do it so that you do the basic simple thing which is straightforward four things easily you can do them very easily just make sure you do them properly and that's it because least you should be able to do that so there is point when the prophet used to use a, a, what you consider to be a detail but it was to make a big big point Yeah. Whereas what we have scholars now doing is that they they're unable, and this is the vast majority of scholars now. Every, every time I, I go to a fiqh class, right, mm-hmm. you start with Kitabu Tahara, mm-hmm. and you and you never finish it. You never finish it. 
you know and because goes kitab al-tahara should be fun <laughs> yeah it's a 50 pence piece and kind of like the, the the whole idea of you know how far and wide this najasa is going to be and all the rest of it so i, I just find it a little bit <laughs> off-putting sorry <laughs> that that level you of see, detail you see is that, that my religion no no th- th- there's a place for that which is that if somebody asks you and says this happened you have to answer and say well we can have a have a good um presumption that this is what you should do okay do you understand so remember you asked me but 10 years ago something we were in masjid furqan did i okay we were, it was jumuah and i was sitting and and you're coming through the door and then you you went behind me and then you then you got up and you asked me something you said i forgot to wash something on my foot yeah if i forgotten and you said what do i and you used to because it's busy the modda was you know the modda oh, yeah, 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 right. because yeah it's a one yeah. so circulation you, is not there. yeah so you were coming and I was sitting listen the khutbah has started so you 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 went behind me and you came up to me and said oh, I forgot to um wash a specific part I said just wash that small part okay now the point of reason that that detail somebody would say just do the whole wudu proper again yeah which is the shafi in the maliki in position because you're not doing it in, in sequence and you're not doing it immediately The Hanafi school just says, look, you could separate the actions out over days, technically, and as long as you don't break your wudu during that period and you, there's nothing happens that means you have to do everything again, you could technically just do that small thing again. So the point is that small answer is a simple thing that makes it easy for you. Because mm. Otherwise, you would have to go all the way around the mosque, join the queue at Juma when it's just about to start, when there's a massive cascade of people from every nationality and color you know having baths yeah. while they you do wudu you got an issue with that no okay. no like you know like they they have like showers <laughs> you go into modda nowadays and people like they got these hoses and they're just showering themselves down so i saved you the fact that you have to go there you just go to the sink you yeah. just put a bit of water and wash a part of your heel the point this this there's reasons for small points of fiqh there's very clear reasons for the small points of fiqh which is it helps you out when you need an answer and you're not sure what to do because you're hayran you're basically bewildered and there's a purpose for that but the thing is great scholars never Probably took now that I out even ask because huh? I'll just I'll just sit and yeah you <laughs> listen to the you should ask you should definitely ask but the thing i think is that scholars nowadays they they have a difficulty in leaving the books in the in the classroom and they feel the need to impose and impress that upon people outside the classroom whereas what i saw with the, the greatest scholars i met is the simplicity of their islam and the simplicity of their speech in public gatherings was because they just wanted to give people simple straightforward advice mm, mm. and it's the same with the prophet sallam he would speak to the people in accordance with their own um, kind of disposition which was you know a blessing from allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh iftar is at 9:13 today 9:13 just a thought that came to my mind it's like when we go for umrah um you you are in awe with the majesty the majestic look of kaaba and uh, you're there in the presence uh, in makkah al-mukarramah and there comes a point when you are in medina um you feel Yeah it was good but this is calmer. Mm-hmm. Uh where you were 
was beautiful. Um, you were closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and you were doing tawaf. I do enjoy tafsir and I have that. But when I move to um, the sira section mm-hmm. of this pro- reflections, mm-hmm. um, I, I, I played this track. Balagal ula bi kamalihi kashafat duja bi jamalihi hasunu jamiyu khisalihi sallu alayhi wa alihi. This is uh, Jami's mm-hmm. um, a Persian. Abdurrahman Jami, yes. Yeah. Um, if you can just start with this section, just a bit of translation of these four verses. Yes, these are couplets from Abdurrahman Mullah Jami, who's, um, in fact, the reason he's famous um, is generally because of a, a work on Arabic grammar. Of Ibn Hajib, he did a commentary on that, which is called Mullah, Mullah Jami'ah. So, you know, I was talking about people taking details out of the classroom into the public domain. So, Mullah Jami'ah is considered to be quite a, a difficult book to study. So, people always say, I studied this book. Hmm. So, they could boast that they've, they've studied this book. Um, so, he was known for many things. One of the things he was known for was actually his intense love for the Prophet. Um, and it's known of his life, in fact, that he went to Hajj, and after Hajj, he went straight back to his his um, his home in Herat, which is way up in Afghanistan. And um, people said, "Are you not going for the ziyarah of the Prophet Sallallahu Because obviously, if we go in Hajj, and we'll, on the on the way, you will be able to make a tour of detour towards the Prophet Sallallahu's um, resting place. And he was weeping and answering, saying, "How can I justify?" Making my journey to to visit him as part of a journey for something else, so he went all the way back, and then he went came all the way back to the ziyarah of the Prophet Sallallahu mm. That was like the kind of dedication, the, the love, and the loyalty he had with the Prophet that he felt it would be, even though we would consider that to be completely exaggerated, or um, you know, a in, in Turkish is a kind of, kind of overstated zealousy. To um, do something But for him it was a real thing That how would he be able to go and visit the Prophet When essentially he was there to Perform the, the, the rituals of the pilgrimage To most of us It wouldn't even occur That we're doing Hajj and we'll get A ziyarah to the Prophet on the way For him it was a big thing that You know, how would the Prophet feel And we know the Prophet would not feel any, Would not feel any sense of um, You know, kind of Rebuke against anybody who did that But mm. he was thinking That is not etiquette for me With myself to do that With the Prophet mm. So he wrote these very famous The very famous couplet Balagh al-Ula bi kamalihi That you That he Balagh al-Ula He reached the highest stations Al-Ula bi kamalihi With his sense of You know perfection Which is a bodily perfection uh, Which is also a perfection Which is related to his akhlaq which are the shama'il. So the, the shama'il were to his physical presence and also his, his ethical presence, his manners, his, his character. بَلَغَ الْعُلَى بِكَمَالِهِ حَسَنَ الْجَمِيعُ خِسَالِهِ That all of his um, khasail, which are his special qualities, were beautified by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So what, what you understand he's saying is just taking a, a, a tour of the Prophet's being through couplets that would in some way indicate and summarize what basically hadith literature details in so much detail. 
Mm. Like the details of how the person walked, how he spoke, how he interacted with people, what he wore. All those details are a lot of detail. But what, what he did was just summarize in three or four lines everything. And then based upon that, he says, Sallu alihi wa alihi. At the end, he said, if this is the case, then pray salutations upon him and then Allah um, and on his family. And essentially, that is because it's of benefit to you as well. Mm. You recognize that. You recognize the perfection of the Prophet. You pray upon him. The benefit of that is, as the Prophet said, Man Whoever prays upon me once, God prays upon them ten times. So, it's almost as if now that you know his elevated station, you can gain some elevation yourself by praying on the Prophet. So, um, you know, like that kind of idea of he's so elevated. Now, when at the end he comes to it, he says, Sallu alihi wa alihi. He doesn't say why, because obviously, if you do, you're elevated as well, tenfold of what you do. And so, the nature of the Prophet is that the more that you honor him and respect him and make mention of him, and reflect over his qualities, you actually end up elevating yourself. You know, elevating so the yourself. Wa alihi yeah. is an attempt to elevate yourself with the elevated. Yes, but it's, it's just telling you to do something, but if you do it, you know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Like that's the way that you elevate yourself. And the thing is about elevation is, then you really start to realize the elevated status of the Prophet Because if you're looking at something from a distance, mm. Um, you won't look at the beauty of how it's been done because I was looking at the the chapel in Glasgow University, you know, a couple of days ago. I was walking past, it, really a lot, three or four miles away, and you could see a beautiful spire. But if you go if you go closer to it, you realize how beautiful it is. So we don't understand the perfection of the Prophet until we try and act upon his Sunnah. And when we do, we get elevated, and then we get some sense of perspective based on proximity. To just how elevated he is, how just how perfected he was by Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, just how great a teacher and a model for life he was for for men and women that come to know about him, him. And so that's the whole thing that Mullah Jami is basically encapsulating that. So whether it's in ease or hardship, whether it's in happiness or sadness, whether it's in victory or defeat, lockdown or no lockdown. He is, in some sense, the amazing thing is he has something that's core to him that speaks to us, even in the most, you know, we're talking about unprecedented um, situations we're in. Even in that kind of unprecedented situation, there's so much in the seerah that tells you lockdown, COVID, quarantine, it's just there. How to behave, how to act. And this is just, you know, you just, you're flabbergasted by the this stature of a human being that could be so elevated in the eyes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Sheikh, this uh, track and this um, couplet that we um, put in front of the listeners and the viewers, and yet uh, Prophet Sallam, beloved of Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala, our Master, mm-hmm. um, he Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam buried all his children in his lifetime mm-hmm. uh, while he was alive. Mm-hmm. He buried some of his wives. He mm-hmm. buried. Uh, his relatives he was an orphan mm-hmm. and at one point the entire year is called Amul Huzn mm. Amul Huzn the year of sorrow yes just want to talk to you about 
that year of sorrow? Why the entire year? And what's the rationale behind it? What do we understand from that year? The, the fact and what happened? Hmm. So, I mean, the thing that, that's interesting here is that the the couplet that you played, I didn't actually translate one of them. Ah. That he removed Al-Duja, which is the kind of darkness and, and these kind of clouds of ominous clouds of, of desperation, by his beauty. So, this in the couplet, why is such an, an interesting couplet? Is it paints the Prophet in, in a way that he is not only <coughs> the most perfect of human beings, but also he effaced and removed difficulties and hardships and tribulations by just by his countenance of beauty. Jamal is this this um, outpouring of just kind of pure um, aesthetic beauty, which also is to do with teaching. And the doja it's, is, is darkness. And so you have the Prophet losing his father, not seeing his father, not really losing his mother at the age of around six, Using, losing his grandfather who became his father figure, then finding solace in his wife Khadija radiallahu anhu, then passed away, and then his uncle Abu Talib passed away. These were events that, you know, are essentially led up, as you said, to Amal Husn, which is the year of Husn. Husn in Arabic <coughs> um, is related to. If you were to make it, not for the Prophet ﷺ, but if you were to relate it to how it is in common parlance, it would be translated as depression. Hmm. As I said, it's not related to the Prophet ﷺ in this sense, but Huzn is something of the past that you regret. Okay. So that, because, that of, because you regret something which is nadam, or you think of something and you, and, you, and you stay fixated upon something in the past, it leads to depression. So this is the nature of the way that, um, you know, in the mental health kind of field you would talk about it is in Arabic, huzn would be the thing that you're pondering over in the past that causes you to fall into um, such sorrow that you go into a, a state of depression. So that's a clinical kind of manifestation of it. So that was the, the year of the Prophet losing his wife, Khadija radiallahu anh, and, and um, his uncle was called Amal Huzn because the two things that brought him worldly solace where his wife, in terms of a very close, loving house, you know, tranquility within the house, and then externally the protection of his uncle Abu Talib was the thing that allowed him to then feel safe, at least for himself and for the believers in some way, that it would, it would, it would have some kind of dampening effect on the onslaught of the Quraysh against him and his, his close believers. And so that was Huzn. Because it was something that passed and the Prophet connected, connected to constantly in his life. To the point that even in the most happiest of days in Medina al-Nawar, he would still remember Khadija. And he would mention her just in passing when everyone's forgotten everything about her. He would just mention her in passing. He would make mention of her and he would give gifts to her friends to keep the connection with her alive in some way. Mm-hmm. So it indicates a degree of huzn, the degree of sorrow the Prophet had for that specific event. And what's related to that also is um, Ham, which is something that's to do with the future. So you have Huzn, Amal Huzn, which is, is for the past. Yes. And Ham is for. Ham is for the future. Ham is like anxiety. Okay. So 
you have this kind of you have the hadith of Abu Umam al-Bahili when the Prophet is visiting him, or in fact he saw him. He just um, came to, came across um, Abu Umam al-Bahili, dejected and and almost defeated. So you could you know from the body of somebody you can you can see the person is defeated, and the Prophet said, "What is the matter?" And he said, uh, "He said, 'Duyun lazamatni, duyun lazamatni wa humum." Uh, or humum lazamatni wa duyun. He he said that it's anxiety that's that's that is um, engulfed me and it's eating away at me and debt. So obviously he was in debt, which led to anxiety about the future. Mm. And so the Prophet gave him that famous du'a, Allah mini a'udhu bika min al-hammi wal hazan wal ajzi wal kasal wal jubni wal bukhal wa ghalabat al-dayn wa qahla rijal The famous hadith of all eight different things that are placed so amazingly by the Prophet in a du'a that I seek refuge you from refuge in you from al-ham, which is anxiety of the future, wal huzn, which is sadness of the past, wal adzi wal kasal, which is incapacity and laziness, wal jubni wal bukhl, which is cowardliness and 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 um, what is related to that, which is miserliness, because if you're um, cowardly. You cowardly over your own future, so you'll keep hold of your wealth. which is the overpowering nature of um, debt. and the oppression of people. So the Prophet gave him that du'a essentially to allow him to cope, to have some kind of strategy of coping with it. Artic- you know when you when you articulate something and you make sense of it and you say it out, it becomes much more manageable. Yeah. And especially if you put it out there, you're speaking to Allah. So one of the things in in mental um, mental well being is that it's about speaking about it. Mm. You know, it's 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 about sharing with the people. It's about seeking help and not suffering in silence. And so the problem here is, uh, you know, this, this is way in, way be, beyond what we uh, would imagine. At that time, the problem is is giving you a dua, but it's a behavioral therapy now that you articulate and you. You put, you know, you kind of throw out your your worries out there, so you can you can actually artic- see them and articulate them. But you're doing it to God, and so the Prophet is doing that because he went through Amal Huzn. He saw mm-hmm. the the difficulties that he went through. He saw that the tribulations that he had, and he had that this this the strategy of coping with it, which was to not bury it, not ignore it, but constantly remember it. Like mm-hmm. why did he con- continuously you know, mentioned Khadija to the point that Aisha would get agitated. In fact, Aisha, Aisha radiallahu would stop speaking to him because she was so jealous of of Khadija who who's no longer, you know, in her memory. She would get to the point she would be agitated to the point she wouldn't speak to the Prophet and the Prophet would continue to speak about Khadija. Now the point here is, how did the Prophet deal with Amal Huzn? He dealt with it by not burying it. Ah, embracing okay. it, so he embraced it. He spoke about it. He embraced it. He he, he lived the memories. He articulated it. He honored her. He he never gave an opportunity except that he took it to praise her. Subhanallah. Okay, okay, okay. That's uh, you've taken me in a different direction. Well, what did you want to ask? You asked. You no, no, that's like, fine. No, no, no. The direction of my mind. So, dealing with Hosn, hmm. the prophetic way of dealing with Hosn is actually talking about it. It's talking and about not it, is shutting that, yourself down mm. and not kind of uh, closing doors of memories. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's, it's to think and to reflect over the good and to accept the decree. And the Prophet, in that, in articulated 
Inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi raji'un. So we're from God and we will return to God. Now, that doesn't mean when somebody passes away, you, you put them into the, 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 the bin of memories. Mm. And then you don't recollect what they did. It's good to remember the blessings that the person brought. Uh, but then to acknowledge the fact that they're from God and they're going back to God. Yeah. It's be, like be content with the journey that uh-huh. they've taken mm. with um, uh, the isn of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, and you embrace the experience, the good experience that you had. And this is why the Prophet used to commend people and, and, and advise them and order them to the point of ordering that remember the mahasin of the people that passed away. Hmm. You know, and not mention the, 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 the bad qualities of the people that passed away. Because the way of coping with that, the Prophet wasn't, wasn't just telling people how to behave and speak about people that are dead. Hmm. He was actually, I think... Providing a strategy for people that are mourning to mourn in a way that will be beneficial for them to deal with bereavement as well. And I've I've seen people getting checked. Don't speak so highly of someone who's passed away. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's not the correct behavior. No, no, that's I don't know why that would be the case. I mean, highly meaning do they deserve to be spoken about highly? And it's very subjective as well because the Prophet said them. Uh, would sometimes speak highly of people that passed away who deserved to and sometimes would downplay people who deserve to be speak, spoken about highly so there wasn't one rule ah. like so the pro- it's, 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 depending it's on the teaching discerning, depending on the teaching situation of the Prophet he would sometimes underplay somebody who is deserves to be overplayed and sometimes overplay somebody that deserves to be underplayed like we have the example of um Example would be Sayyidina Uthman ibn Madhu'un radiallahu anhu passed away, the first companion passed away um, in Madinat ibn Awala, the first one that was buried in Baqir. Um, and he passed away on his, on his deathbed, meaning natural causes. Mm-hmm. And Sayyidina Umar radiallahu anhu, when he passed away, Uthman passed away, he belittled Sayyidina Uthman ibn Madhu'un. Because he felt, you know, he didn't, he didn't die in battle, he didn't fight f- fighting for the truth, he just died natural causes. But Uthman ibn Madhu'un was so close to the Prophet you know, some scholars of, of, of history, they said that he was so close to the Prophet and he died so early that if he hadn't, he would have, would have been one of the Khulafa. Hmm. Like, he, we don't know him now because he passed away, you know, the early period of Islam. It's like Sumayya, she passed away in the early period of Islam as a martyr, the first martyr. Yeah, you know. So we don't remember her because she didn't have the time to create the legacy or the memory of events. And Uthman is exactly the same. We just know him because he was so pious. He was basically given to renouncing everything of the world. When he passed away, um, the reason I'm mentioning this is because when he passed away, his wife said, you know, may you be given glad tidings of paradise. Hmm. You know, that's speaking highly of him. And the Prophet got he got he he showed his displeasure and said, "Who told you that he is guaranteed paradise?" Mm. His point was not to say he's not guaranteed paradise; it was to say we have to be careful in not assuming things. And later on, the Prophet did say that to about people that he knew were guaranteed paradise. But at that moment, just to teach somebody and the group of people there that even the thing that you assume to be a certainty, you do not have the prerogative to do that. And so speaking highly or not, as a rule, you should speak of the good things. So speaking mm-hmm. highly is exaggeration. Exaggeration, yeah. Speaking, reminding people of the good things the person did, 
and they did do them because they're just not exaggerating them. That is from the prophetic prophetic rule book. That's not an issue of discussion. What is clear is that you shouldn't over exaggerate a person's um, you know achievements if they not if they didn't do them. Yeah. That's different. Remember mahasinahum. Remember <coughs> the mahasin of the dead people means the things that they did that they we know they did. They built a mosque. They helped establish this um, you know place here. They used to donate to a specific ama- a charity this amount every year. That's a mahasin. You mentioned that. Yeah. So th- this world is full of all sorts of people, and not everyone who passes away is going to be one of the most pious people. Mm-hmm. And you know them as your uncles or your aunts or your parents mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. How do we interact with that? You interact with that that the Allah gave the person a place on earth to walk and eat and drink, give them rental space. So if God can give them a space on earth, they're they're in some way honored by Allah, allowed them to live and breathe his earth, drink his water, eat his sustenance. You know, you're not the person that's gonna say oh, you shouldn't be here. So this is the thing that God allowed everything to happen. That's just the base level, and the other thing is that you, you, you cling to the hope that in their life they did something that was with a pure intention, because we don't know. I mean, it's interesting about the, the story I mentioned about Sayyidina Uthman ibn Madun radiAllahu anhu is that that's in the opposite sense of the spectrum. Where the Prophet stopped people from speaking about him as if he's going to paradise. You can imagine the Prophet doing that about a person that people think is going to the hellfire to say don't, because that's not your prerogative, mm. and so. There is good in everything, in everybody. At some base level, there is some inclination, even if it's minute, towards something good. Yeah. And so you leave, you know, the people, that letter has been posted. It's been stamped and posted and it'll be delivered. That person has disappeared. And so it's not for you. Allah says that you're not coercively enforcing things upon people. It's not for us to decide on that. It's for the Prophet to tell us about it. So the Prophet used to sometimes, interesting enough, that there was a, a janazah coming to the Prophet and it passed by, and the Prophet said, Wajabat, which means it's an obligation. And the companions didn't hear anything before or after this, heard the word Wajabat. What's obligation? Prayer is it? No one knows. Another janazah was passing by, and the Prophet said, Wajabat. And the companions then said, look, this has happened twice, what, what, what is, what's being said here? And the Prophet said that this person used to, the first person used to uh, afflict people with harm and dispute with them and bring all types of evil. And hellfire is obligated upon them. And the Prophet said, wajabat, it's an obligation. Hmm. Set, because the person's life, the Prophet knew of things we didn't know. And the other person was a person that was pious and the Prophet was inspired by the knowledge that he would go to paradise and the Prophet said, Wajabat, it's an obligation. So this is hidden from us. This is, you know, it's like the, we cover the story of Khidr and Prophet Musa. For us, we just see a janazah, we pray for it and we let it go. The, the, the alim al-ghayb is that you don't know the person standing in front of God. Mm. So you just, you, 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 what you do is, you know, in Asul al-Fiqh, we have this principle that Jalbil Masalih Awla min Darul Mafasid. Or Darul Mafasid Awla min Jalbil Masalih. That preventing harm is better than accruing good. So you shouldn't create harm. Preventing harm is better than gaining good. Gaining good. So 
the harm that you can cause by claiming somebody is 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 despicable in the eyes of God or wretched is far worse than the mistake that you might do in slightly exaggerating the good actions. Mm-hmm. There's much more there's much more at stake by condemning somebody than by embracing them. So we should have a real nice piece Husn of thun. Husn al thun. It's Husn good opinion of everybody. Um, this is something that's disappearing, you know, in the Muslim community very quickly. Husn al thun. The basic principle of con- rejecting conjecture and having a good opinion. Um, and 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 this kind of debates about okay, you can't always have husn al thun. But thing is, we do have very clear. Um, I think clear principles on how that works. Anyway, personal done is not when you see somebody falling about in the street with alcohol in their face, singing songs from intoxication. You can have a personal done there, but you can have personal done if you see somebody you know, dumping bottles of beer in, in a in a recycling bin, for example. Mm, mm, mm. You can imagine somebody going to a recycling bin for for glass, and, he's, and you see them um, Corona. <laughs> I know there's a, a beer. <laughs> <laughs> There's a beer uh, make. Not that I have ever known about it. It's just in the news. It's called Corona, made in uh, made in Mexico. So he's throwing these empty bottles of Corona into the the glass recycling bin, and you, you're driving past, taking the video of them, and, and sharing on the WhatsApp. Yeah, yeah. So that obviously, the the husn al is a bit far fetched to say that he found it and he's getting rid of it. But that's a very plausible thing because glass left on the side of a road with kids running about is going to break, it's going to cause havoc. The Prophet said that, you know, Islam has different facets. Removing harmful objects from the street is part of faith. Hmm. So that person might be removing harm and gaining this whole paradise scenario and you're getting the opposite, you're getting the, the hellfire scenario yeah. option on the menu just because time, personal fun. Time, time is nine past nine. I'm sorry, I have to cut this short today. Uh, reflections uh, that we started at seven thirty is coming to an end at nine minutes past nine. Iftar today is at thirteen past nine. Uh, final few moments of us to reflect individually on our own. Uh, listen to gems of wisdom. Uh, something from uh, Sami Yusuf's track for a few seconds. Inshallah, we'll be back tomorrow at 7.30 again with Sheikh Rizwan Muhammad reflecting on a different part of Surah Kahf, 18 Surah of Quran. Until then, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Thank you for listening to Radio Ramadan 365 Podcasts. Make sure to visit our Radio Ramadan website at rr365.co.uk to access all of our podcasts. Stay tuned on our social channels for future content.